This is the JT and Looney Podcast. Episode 9. We could be and should be Super Bowl contenders. Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., and his posse in Cleveland, his new posse in Cleveland, held a press conference, JT, where Baker Mayfield claimed that they would win the Super Bowl. Too soon? It was one of the most fascinating press conferences I've ever seen. Odell Beckham Jr. looked like he was some type of hostage from Homeland. You know, I love that show (laughs) that was just released and they were taking him in and he wasn't familiar where the press conference was because he was a hostage and he was just released (laughs) and he walked into the Cleveland Brown facility and he was in shock because he's used to walking into the New York Giants facility where there's all this media and it's really close to New York City and all the New York City press gets there quickly. And he was in shock. He was looking around. He wasn't comfortable. Cleveland did all the right things. They brought in Miles Garrett, the best defensive player. They brought in Jarvis Landry. They brought in Baker Mayfield with his big, bushy beard because millennials now need to have big, bushy beards. They just can't be clean shaven. They got to look like lumberjacks (laughs) year-round. And they all came in there trying to make it easy for OBJ, who was never comfortable. He looked very confused. And I think it's obvious, Tom, he's not comfortable yet in Cleveland because he was really comfortable in the number one media market of New York City. And he was repeating a lot of those goal visualization, Tony Robbins type uh, mantra, Joel Olstein mantra. <laughs> yes. Like it didn't matter where he is. It just matters how much he succeeds. And it doesn't matter what city he's in. He's in the National Football League and his star will shine. And therefore Cleveland's star will shine and blah, blah, blah. He really had to talk him in, talk himself in to joy about being in Cleveland because nobody gets excited when they end up on the Cleveland Browns when they used to play for the New York Giants. It's That's just the way it is. It's a franchise with a sad history, way too soon for anybody. That's irresponsible. Baker Mayfield drinking again. Irresponsible to get in front of that microphone and say you're going to win the Super Bowl. How about winning your division first, something that you've never done in the history, uh, never done this century, with the new Cleveland Browns and the and the expansion franchise of the late 1999, early 2000s, so I think it was irresponsible for Baker Mayfield to say that you need to you need to take baby steps before you take adult steps. You we need to wear baby diapers before you put on your adult diapers and win in the city of Cleveland and win a Super Bowl. So he can't be happy. Odell Beckham Jr. can't be happy about being there. I don't know if the Cleveland Browns franchise is happy to have their franchise quarterback say we're going to win the Super Bowl. A little too soon. And in that division, John Harbaugh eats, sleeps, playoffs. And so does his franchise, the Baltimore Ravens. Same thing with Mike Tomlin, the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers and his Pittsburgh Steelers. They expect playoffs, and they usually get it. Cincinnati Bengals, year in and year out, every other year are a contender. The Browns, never. And they have a brand-new coach. I just Googled. Their coach is Freddie <laughs> Kitchens, JT. Freddie Kitchens is their head coach, former offensive coordinator uh, from last year, and he gets along with the big stars allegedly. And so, uh, when you anytime you have a new coach, you stink. So, uh, the, the, because of the franchise history, because they have a brand new coach, they'll be lucky to win six or seven games. Well, one of the other things that nobody's talking about on another podcast, other than the JT and Looney podcast, people forget that Odell Beckham Jr. was traded. Usually we see free agent contracts. A free agent comes to a city and they bring out the core players and everybody's there and all the media is there. And it's a big deal because he's a free agent and he willingly chose 
to go to that city. And remember, in our lifetime, we can remember that when Reggie White decided to go to Green Bay, remember when oh, he talked to yes. God? He literally yes, and God, to God told him to go for the money. Yes, and God told him to go <laughs> for the money and go to Green Bay. But he was a free agent, and he wanted to be there. And he chose that team, and he was right because he knew how good they were. Odell Beckham Jr. was traded. And when you look at that deal, the Giants signed him recently to a five-year, $90 million extension in 2018. It's 2019 now. So when Dave Gettleman who is the GM who will eventually be fired because he's not off to a good start in the number one media market. They signed him because they wanted to make sure that they didn't upset everybody in New York. They gave him the money, which I think he deserved. I think that's a fair number, $90 million on the extension. But after watching the team struggle with Eli and the fact that their defense, where they went big a couple of years ago in free agency, couldn't get it done. They still have problems with the offensive line. Gettleman went all in on this trade. And when I look at it, the Giants wanted to get value on the other end. And I think they got value. They got a really good first round pick, a third round pick, and they got safety Jabril Peppers, who was a former first round pick. So the Giants believe that they got two first round picks and a third because Peppers is gonna be their starting safety for years to come. But getting back to the press conference, you could tell that Odell Beckham Jr. was used to New York, limos, helicopters, big nights out on the town, going to the meatpacking district, going to uptown and midtown. So and he home. was walking around Cleveland going, <laughs> what am I doing here? Well, I know he's used to a city with tall buildings. Now he's going to a city with tall trees. Uh, at least he'll, <laughs> yeah. and I know, I don't know whether he's into the green scene or not, but you will be in Northeastern Ohio because it's very, very green. Everywhere you look, beautiful green mountains and beautiful green trees and not very many tall buildings. It's going to be a really difficult adjustment. Uh, are there going to be time, you know, is he going to settle in? You know, Carl Malone moved to Salt Lake City, Utah, and just loved it because he was from Arkansas. I don't know if Odell Beckham Jr. is going to move to Cleveland, Ohio, and settle in and live there for the rest of his life like some people do. You know, Roger Staubach wasn't from Dallas, but he settled in and enjoyed living in Dallas. I don't know if that's going to happen with Odell Beckham Jr. in Cleveland, Ohio. I hope it does. It'll be good for him and the city if he plays well. But if he's flying out on nights off to go to clubs in other cities, that's not going to look good either. And the people in Cleveland aren't going to like it. That's a great point. That is, yeah. I didn't even thought of that. That you're right about one thing. They're going to have off days. You know, the bye week, if he takes off, he's going to go to South Beach. We know that. Yeah. He's going to go somewhere. He's going to go to L.A. Oh, why not go to analogy, JT? When, when, the, when the Rolling Stones played two nights in Syracuse, New York, they didn't st stay in a hotel in downtown <laughs> Syracuse. They flew to Manhattan, stayed at the Waldorf Astoria in the penthouse, and then flew back up to Syracuse and did the, the second night. The same thing is probably going to happen in Cleveland with Odell Beckham Jr., and they're not going to like seeing that on a – a Tuesday night or a Monday night, he's in Vegas or Manhattan or some other city that's a little more exciting. I'm not fascinated by border security or immigration or right. you know, climate change. That doesn't fascinate me. Odell Beckham Jr. fascinates me. I don't <laughs> know if that's a good thing because he came into the league in 2014. He had 91 receptions as a rookie, 91, Amazing. For 13, uh, 1,305 yards and 12 touchdowns. That was an enormous rookie year. Everybody in New York loved him. Then his follow-up year, he had 96 receptions for the most yards he's ever had in his second year, 1,450. 
and even more touchdowns, 13, which is the highest he's ever had. So he gets off to this incredible start with the Giants. Eli loves him. He loves Eli, and everybody seems to be on the same page. Then 2016, 10 touchdowns, but he had 101 receptions. Great year. 2017, he was injured. He only had 25 receptions, 302 yards, and three touchdowns. And last year, when he was healthy, Tom, he put up 77 receptions, a little over 1,000 yards, and six touchdowns. And all the criticism went to Eli because Eli didn't play well. He didn't have a great offensive line. Their high-priced defense that they went after in free agency a few years before that underachieved, and Odell Beckham became trade bait because the Giants realized if you can only win four games or five games with Odell Beckham Jr., get rid of them and let's relaunch again. But the New York fans that I've been talking to are furious because they kept Eli and they got rid of Odell. Think of that. <laughs> Odell, yeah. the young, you know, the young leopard in the jungle who's going to be a superstar, the alpha male forever. They're holding on to the aging Eli Manning because Eli's a made man. He has two Super Bowl championships, both going through Tom Brady. He's the face of their franchise, right? And he went through Tom Brady, two Super Bowl victories. He'll have a red carpet his entire retirement in Manhattan for the rest of his life. Do you think he'll, matter of fact, matter of fact, is Eli Manning more suited for Cleveland than Odell Beckham Jr.? Eli Manning is from Louisiana. He could have moved into Cleveland and stayed there year round and had no problem. But I, do you think Eli Manning's going to stay year round in Manhattan after he retires? And he's, or is he going to go back to the swamp? He's definitely not going to stay in Manhattan. I would he's think not. most likely no, because <laughs> that's not a speed, but he'll be going there on private jets to autograph signings yeah, and I to know. great events in New York where he'll get introduced. And that's the one thing I'm happy you brought that up as a segue here because Odell Beckham Jr. has no legacy with the Giants. David Tyree, and I'm looking at it here. I love this podcast now because I'm doing it in my home, yeah. in my sports room. And I have a picture in my sports room of David Tyree catching a football with his helmet that ended up beating Tom Brady yeah. in the Super Bowl. Legendary. Victor, Victor Cruz won a Super Bowl. Mario Manningham, Plaxico Barris caught the game-winning touchdown, not Randy Moss for the Patriots. He scored the go-ahead touchdown. Burris alone, New York. I remember that. Joe Buck. Barris won. Yeah, wide open, as Joe Buck said, he caught it. His legacy is bigger than Odell Beckham Jr., and that should have never happened. Beckham Jr. should have been a giant for life. He should have won at least one championship, one Super Bowl, maybe multiple, throughout the length of his career. And whenever he goes back, Tom, it's kind of sad, to the tri-state area of New York the rest of his life. And I think his numbers are trending where he'll be a Hall of Famer. If he plays 10, 12, 13 years, his numbers will put him in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but he's going to have no legacy with the Giants franchise that has won four Super Bowls, four NFL championships, eight overall titles. It feels like a lot of wasted time for me. And who knows if he'll ever have a playoff game in Cleveland. Cleveland Browns don't go to the playoffs. Yes, they may look good on paper, but uh, are they going to be a wild card team? Who knows? The Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers are usually always battling for the AFC North. And every other year, the Cincinnati Bengals are right there, too. Cleveland Browns, year in and year out, are the fourth best team in their division. And what they really have going for them is in the AFC East, there's one good team in the Patriots. In the AFC South, there's one good team in the Houston Texans and maybe the Indianapolis Colts. 
will be good as well next year because, you know, they have Andrew Luck, of course. But it's going to be really difficult for the Cleveland Browns even to make the playoffs. And will Odell Beckham Jr. settle for that? The reason why we decided to lead with Beckham weeks after the trade, and again, it was a trade, is because his press conference was so bizarre. It was so uncomfortable for a guy that I was very comfortable seeing him talk to the media over the years as I follow New York. We see him on NFL Network. Right. That I think he was looking around. He had his best friend. His number one friend his entire life as a football player is Jarvis Landry. And Jarvis Landry was there stand, sitting next to him for a reason. The reason he was there next to him was to make Odell comfortable that he was with his former college best friend and teammate at LSU because everybody knew in Cleveland that Odell Beckham Jr. was not going to be comfortable. Once he got off the private jet, got to the facility, looked around, you could just tell for him it wasn't New York. It oh, yeah. wasn't the Giants. It wasn't the media that he's used to. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a big story with him going forward. Well, another thing, too, you could tell that he had to talk himself into being in Cleveland and loving being in Cleveland. He got up and he sounded like he had been listening to Tony Robbins tapes or Joel Olstein where he said, tomorrow belongs to those who can hear it coming. You know, he was just going through, you know, you always have those friends on Instagram or Facebook who post the quotes by going out of your mind, you come to your senses. And he, he just kept repeating these goal oriented quotes. And it just seemed as though he was talking himself into loving being a Cleveland Brown, uh, as well as trying to talk us into it. That's a great point. It just, it wasn't comfortable and he'll be more comfortable. Remember Cleveland was on hard knocks last year and it was uncomfortable for Baker Mayfield. Remember he lived in the Winnebago. We had the meetings outside the facility and it's Baker Mayfield and they wouldn't even make him the starter. That was right. the reason why Hugh Jackson lost his job is because he didn't do the obvious thing. They just didn't make him the starter. And I believe Baker Mayfield felt embarrassed by that. Remember when Baker Mayfield gave Hugh the dirty look mm -hmm. when Hugh went to Cincinnati? That was all because Baker Mayfield, who's very immature and is going to grow through this, that Baker Mayfield couldn't believe that he was the number one pick overall and he didn't start behind Tyrod Taylor. I don't want to bring that up for you, Tom. Yes, I know Tyrod you're part of the, Tyrod the great Tyrod Taylor, Taylor fan yeah. club. Yes, I am. So, so you could see that he wasn't comfortable, but Odell Beckham Jr. is going to come in now. He's going to be opposite of Jarvis Landry. When the pocket breaks down, and Eli Manning, when the pocket breaks down for Odell in New York, the play's over. Eli right. goes yeah. right down quickly. He almost throws takes it into knee. the ground. Yep. Yeah, he just, he's done. <laughs> right. He just lightly throws it into the ground. <laughs> Baker Mayfield is going to sprint away from two giant defensive ends coming at him. And throw he's a going completion. to extend the play. Yep. And then Odell's just going to take off of the end zone. So I think they're going to be good. I think this year... A lot of people are going to wonder what their record's going to be. Because remember, last year they had a tie. They were 7-8-1. and one. Right. And also they were robbed of a victory in Oakland where he thought he picked up a first down and the Raiders stopped them and got the ball back and won a game where most people thought Cleveland won. I think Cleveland's going to go from 7-8-1 and one to 8-8 eight and eight, or probably 9-6. and six. But then the following year with this core group, and another draft and another year in free agency, and they still don't have to pay Baker Mayfield on that rookie contract. I think they're going to be a 10 and 11 win team. I think they're going to be an 11 win team after that. And this team will get to the playoffs in Cleveland. They'll win a division or two or probably do it back to back. They'll get home playoff games in the dog pound. 
And Odell's going to have an opportunity, Tom, to build a playoff legacy. Well, for the people listening to this podcast while they're in the gym and they can't Google at the same time because they're busy doing back and biceps, can you remind the people listening <laughs> who the coach of the Cleveland Browns is who's going to take this team to 11-6 and six two years from now, according to JT the Brick? Uh, that would be Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens. In yeah, his initial statement that he'd greet Odell Beckham Jr. by saying, quote, I love you, was said in fun, but it took on a life of its own. Everybody yeah, it talked about it. Look, Freddie Kitchens shouldn't be the head coach. It was supposed to be Greg Williams. They hired Hugh. They fired Hugh. They brought in Greg Williams to be the interim guy. He did a pretty good job, but I don't think they thought with his personality, with all of his profanity, on how up and down he is, that he would be good with all of these egos. So let's give Freddie Kitchens some credit here. New coaches a lot of stink, JT. New coaches are never any good. Bill Belichick wasn't any good his first year. Tom Landry, the legendary Hall of Famer, couldn't win a game his first couple of years with the Dallas Cowboys. You want me to go on? Bill Parcells had trouble getting his team into the playoffs when he was uh, first a head mm -hmm. coach in the NFL. There's no other Sean McVay's out there. New coaches stink. Can I drop the Mike McCarthy card on you? Oh, Even though no, he didn't yet. get a job, he should have been the head coach of the Jets. I think Freddie Kitchens is going to be in that mold of Mike McCarthy, oh. kind of a quiet guy, gets along with the players, deals with big egos, and we'll see if he's going to get it done. But as we wrap up this portion of the podcast on Odell Beckham Jr., that press conference was weird. I've seen – I remember, let me put some perspective here. I grew up in Long Island, New York, during the George Steinbrenner, Billy Martin era. I saw – the best press conferences that you'd ever see in sports history, not just baseball, where Billy would get hired, George would fire him, they'd have a fake press conference, you're fired, no, you're hired. I grew up with that, so I'm pretty good at looking at a press conference and calling bullshit or saying that's real, or this mm -hmm. guy's kind of not, he's a little bit confused. Odell Beckham Jr., when he was introduced to the Cleveland Browns in the media, was in shock. He was uncomfortable. As you said, he said everything that you could read off an index card about we're going to win. I don't need to be in New York or L.A. All the things that we expect him to say. But I think it's going to take him a number of years before he finds a home in Cleveland, Ohio. And nothing stood out to me more than Baker Mayfield predicting a Super Bowl victory. If you're going to the when you look, it's like a 14 year old saying, I want to be Mr. Olympia. Well, you got to go to the gym first. <laughs> That's what you have to do. You know, to have big muscles, you got to go to the gym first, kid. How about starting with heading to the gym? How about baby steps? They have to try to win their division, and it's a tough division to win. You know, the, the bad news for the National Football League is every division has about one good team. That's Well, that's not the division that the Cleveland Browns are in. The AFC North has two really good teams in the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers and a Cincinnati Bengal team that's good every other year. So and, and they were six and ten last year, and you've seen that happen. But they'll have a new coach too, so maybe they will stink, and that'll help the Browns at least go seven and eight and one again. But the Browns aren't going to win that division, and they'll be lucky to make it to the playoffs. As Brian Gumble would say, "Let's move on." Okay. After eight weeks of games, less than one season, the AAF, the Alliance of American Football is over suspended all oh. operations mm. and i can't believe i'm still getting it. over it I, well i have a little bit of a history with this because i was the voice of the las vegas outlaws oh, of the yes. xfl the xfl so i've I seen loved this it. movie before i was part of the launch 
of the XFL as the radio play-by-play voice of the Vegas team. And remember, Vegas was the flagship franchise where they had the first game, Jesse, the body Ventura, Vince McMahon, the fireworks, and it was incredible. And the reason why the XFL folded was because Vince McMahon was such a smart businessman, and this is my perspective and many who were involved, that it could have went on for another year. He had plenty of money to keep it going. But he looked at the books, he looked at the ratings, he looked at the sponsors and how it was starting to fail, and good businessmen and women pulled the plug instead of pumping more and more money into something that's going to fail. And that's what happened with Tom Dundon, who decided, and he claimed he was going to put $250 million behind this. I think he put $70 million in hard cash into it. He looked at the struggling, struggling league. He also owns the Carolina Panthers of the NHL. He pledged a total of $250 million, but it was a pledge. All that money didn't pass through. And Tom, he couldn't convince the NFL to make it a developmental league. He basically told the NFL, if you don't give us an opportunity to give us some of your players on your practice squads and your other players that are trying to develop with your bigger league, we can't stay in business I think this is a sad story. A lot of good people are losing jobs over this. Oh, yeah. You never want to see people lose jobs. And, you know, San Diego had a team with the San Diego fleet. San Antonio, a great sports city. Had the San Antonio commanders, if my memory serves me correct. And I have almost total instant recall. Salt Lake City with the Stallions. There are a lot of really cool cities that don't have teams. And the Memphis Express, you know, Tennessee is a great football state. And the Birmingham Iron. And so I feel bad for the cities like Birmingham and Memphis and Salt Lake and San Antonio and San Diego. Now that they don't have the chargers that they had a team to be excited about. People love their football. I'm always a little bit skeptical about spring leagues. I think football should be played in the fall. And I think that if you do do it on a different night, do it on a Tuesday night, do it on a Thursday night. Well, now they have Thursday night. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Don't do it on a Friday night to compete with high school football or on a Saturday. But I, I still think football belongs in the fall and a competitive league may uh, have more success if they do it in the fall. What I thought was great, as this happened earlier in the week on a Tuesday, the first guy to tweet about it was Johnny Manziel, who's been in and out of rehab, got married, looks like oh, he's yeah. heading towards divorce. I saw drinking with him the other night, yeah. yeah. Uh, John, he was just in L.A. <laughs> drinking, so you probably bumped into him. Here's the quote from Johnny Manziel, a guy who's flamed out. So he goes there, he thinks it's going to be his relaunch. He says, quote, this is beautiful. If you're an AAF player and in the league and the league does dissolve, the last check you got will be the last one you get. No lawsuit or anything else will get you your bread. Save your money and keep your head up. It's the only choice at this point unless something drastic happens. Can you believe that Johnny Manziel is trying to give clarity to his brothers in the AAF and tell them how to save their money? You know, uh, it it drives me crazy. Yeah, you've been mature five minutes. Stop it with the mature tweets (laughs) because it is a very mature tweet. But it's just like when you have friends that go into AA. If you go into AA, you're no longer going to do alcohol and drugs. You're not allowed to preach to others until you've been sober the amount of years that you were getting high. So if it was 20, you have to wait 20. Or the people, for a long time at Fox Sports Radio, you and I worked with a vegan. 
and he started preaching all the ideals and philosophies of to all of us about being a vegan and saving the earth. He was a vegan for like five weeks before all of a sudden he was Mr. The Spokesperson for veganism. And you know, he was a Mr. El Pollo Loco before that. So I, I gotta be careful when you're getting your your act together and getting your shit together. Be careful about preaching to others about how to get their shit together when you've only had yours together for five minutes. I always say that about alcoholics. I got buddies of mine who drink much more than some alcoholics that had one DUI and they think the world's right. coming to an end and right. they're going to decide that they're never going to drink again, not even at their kid's wedding or at their right. buddy's uh, son's bar mitzvah because they had one bad experience. And I know guys who have everything under control and drink three to four times as much and their businesses are thriving and they take their partners and wives on great trips to Cabo and they order champagne and then they come back and go to work. But there exactly. are other people who can't handle it. And the reason I wanted to tie Johnny Manziel into this, the league signed all their players to three-year deals, non-guaranteed contracts. I repeat, non-guaranteed contracts worth $70,000 in the first year, $80,000 in the second, and $100,000 in the third year. Then they rolled out Bill Polian, who has a gold coat. He's a Hall of Famer. And they brought out Heinz Ward, who's involved with the league. Then they gave us Steve Spurrier and Mike Martz and Mike Singletary and Rick Neuheisel. And I'll never forget the first week, the launch of the league, because one of my best friends I grew up with is a fireman in New York, in Brooklyn. And he flew out with his son because they're hockey fans to see the Vegas Golden Knights. And it was a weekend in Vegas where it rained all weekend, which really it does. We we're going to go on hikes. We we're going to go outside. And we were stuck inside. And the AAF was on. And my son... And my buddy Chris's son, Pete, are 17. And I said, let's watch this. And they loved it. It was competitive. Yeah. The football was okay. There were recognizable coaches, the rules, the camera angles. And remember, in the first week, they had all this transparency when it came to instant replay. Loved it. And they went to the re replay official, and they were talking you through could it. Could hear them. Yes. I cannot believe that this league, eight weeks from that launch where I enjoy it, is upside down and everybody's walking away from it. I'm disappointed. A lot of good people are going to lose jobs. The good that will come out of it, there's been competitive leagues or leagues that wanted to compete with the NFL over the years or just, you know, take advantage of Americans' love for football. World Football League, the USFL, the XFL, and the good things that came from those failures and that will come from this failure, the Alliance of American Football, which wasn't a good name. And that is the NFL usually waits three Mississippis, and then they steal the good stuff. And what the and it's usually camera angles and stuff. And that, that, that camera angle that the NFL now has with the, the sky cam, that was mm -hmm. from the XFL. They got that from the XFL. And they, they're going to do the same thing. We're going to end up hearing the referees talk about it back in New York, et cetera, underneath the hood or whatever. We're going to hear that because of the Alliance of American Football. And remember, I said it first. I want to talk about the embarrassing side of this because Charlie Ebersol and Dick Ebersol, his dad, who's an icon when it comes to broadcasting, right? An icon. Yeah. Ebersol told ESPN in January that he had structured the league around a sober business plan because he believed he had learned lessons from his father, Dick Ebersol, who helped run the first version of the XFL. Then you have Bill Polian, who I mentioned, who said, quote, I'm certain that there are many 
among them, the players, who will find future success in the NFL, and I look forward to doing all I can to help them in their quest. You have successful individuals who put their reputation on the line. I mean, it's not Bill Polian's reputation. He's a Hall of Famer. He tried to help this league get off the ground. There's a young TV executive in Charlie Ebersol that wanted to put his name on this. Tom, what should be the legacy of the people involved with this who told everybody, including CBS Sports Network, NFL Network, all of the regional partners, all the people who run stadium operations in towns like San Diego and San Antonio and Orlando, that they couldn't get to the finish line of year one? We're in the business of pointing fingers even on our gentle podcast, which is much more <laughs> calm than our former radio show. Right. But some people, I'm, I'm not going to say heads need to roll, but I want to hear more explanations from the guys who put this together. Well, I've always, I love when people have the guts to put things together and the guts to put their money on the line. I, I do like, you know, when you're talking about losing money and holding out while you're losing money because you believe in the vision, Bezos did that with Amazon. Amazon didn't make money for years. And now within several years of this podcast, people will just stop going to malls, period. Every mall in America is going to close. There's going to be some cool places on Main Street, but no Wall Street malls uh, with because people are going to be ordering from home because of Amazon. I'm disappointed they didn't stick it out because I love football and it's great getting jobs for all those guys. But they have the right to stay. This is There's going to be no scandal about them going out of business. People go out of business, all take great risks, and go out of business all the time. I don't think anybody got ripped off. So I don't think there'll be any scandal involved. But let in me this. tell you a couple of things. And as we record this podcast, what we love about the podcast is the podcast stays around. Radio shows, as much as people tell you there's a podcast, bull crap. People just do a radio show. They come in the next day, and it's a radio right. show. And people forget, forget what they said the day before. As we were recording this podcast and it was announced that the AAF is going to cease to exist, Robert Klemko, our friend from Sports Illustrated, quote, sources say AAF teams making players pay for their own flights home. Oh. Okay? How about that? That's, well, that's uh, bad. Also, that's bad. So oh. I'm looking at some of the verified accounts here. And Albert Breer from NFL Network talks about a couple of the cost-cutting AAF details that he found out. Only coaches' players were allowed to eat on the team plane. Doctors, trainers, equipment guys weren't fed. Also, <laughs> this is unbelievable. This is from Albert Breer. Night before the game, team dinners were eliminated. Players got a $30 per diem instead. This is incredible. Well, this is, it was a company going out of business. And those are the things you know, we're, I think that makes a bigger headline be because we're used to NFL players, NBA players, and baseball players eating filet mignon in the Ruth Chris, which is on the first floor of the five-star yes. hotel they're staying in. So, uh, but th that's what happens when you work for a company that's going out of business. These things aren't that outrageous. Everybody listening to this podcast started out somewhere working somewhere where they weren't they could have been getting paid more but they were getting nickel and dimed by the business that they were working by the ice cream store that was barely making it uh tom dundon who funded this and was the biggest guy when it came to money he's going to be remembered as a bad guy the guy who pulled the plug but i want everybody to think about this again as the aaf is suspending their operation that this 
man who's worth a ton of money might have looked at his investment and said, I'm not comfortable losing anymore. So he pulled the plug because he's the controlling owner and he had the ability to go do that. It's very, very complicated. But the man with the money decided to take his ball and go home. And I'm not knocking him for that because I watched Vince McMahon do it. I watched NBC do it the first time around. And I know why they did it. They had the money, the resources to keep it going. But it didn't make sense because the business model wasn't bulletproof. And the AAF tried to launch a new league. They had great intentions because, you know, CBS was lined up with three games. Tom, do you know, as I record with you in Vegas, Vegas was supposed to have the, the final game. So I talked to someone on the inside who was involved with the ball series out here in Las Vegas. We were talking about maybe a couple of hundred rooms, up to three, four hundred rooms that were going to be taken down in Vegas by people, the players, families, everybody around the league, all the television partners. And those people who were staying in hotel rooms in Vegas were going to buy steak dinners. They were going to get in taxis. They were going to go pick up bar tabs. You want to talk about the economic impact on them canceling the league before the championship round shows you that the numbers weren't adding up and this was an epic disaster. Well, and I'm usually the voice of the working man on the show, but I've also owned businesses and I've had to close businesses. And the restaurant business can be cruel. My business partner and I, didn't know what we were doing. And we opened up a restaurant and everybody came. It was amazing. And we did really well. And we said, well, shall we, shall we save this money or open up a second restaurant since we felt so smart? And then we found, and we didn't even have a great location. We had a cool concept. The location wasn't that great. Food was good. And which is news flash, really important. And so we found other locations that were much, much better. Then we, when we actually knew what we were doing, we opened up one location in a much better area, failed opened another one in a much better area, much better location, failed. Still the one in the shitty location thrived. Uh, the restaurant business is cruel and business is cruel. And sometimes you have to call up all the guys or if you have an organization like this, maybe there's too many. Sometimes they find out online. If you're a decent owner, you call up all the guys and saying, don't come to work tomorrow. The restaurant's closed. That's what happened here. And, it, and so I am empathetic to that because I've had it happen to me. According to the Associated Press, uh, the league, in a letter, gave no reason for ending the inaugural season, only that the decision was made after careful consideration. It also said that a small staff would remain to seek new investment capital and restructure the business. And there's probably a chance that that can happen. But Darren Ravel tweeted out, developing, sources say the XFL is interested in acquiring a variety of AAF assets. Hmm. So this leads us to the XFL, Tom, which I was a part of the initial launch. Yes. They tweaked it. They're going to do it again. Does this mean instant failure for the XFL led by Oliver Luck and Vince McMahon? Because they have strong partnerships. They're doing something that they think is going to be much bigger because of their relationship and Vince McMahon has than the AAF could ever dream of. If you were an investor tonight in the XFL, would you want to pull your money? Yeah, it's tough because yeah. if you take a look at the track record, like invading Afghanistan, take a look at the track record of people who have tried to do it and people have failed time in and time out. People are always inspired by the story of the, uh, the AFL, which became the AFC. 
and the AFL became so successful. The NFL merged and purchased uh, the AFC, the the NFL, the AFL, which became the AFC. And people still have that dream, as did so quickly the Alliance of American Football at being uh, at the NFL being so impressed with the product or so threatened by it that they purchase it or if they pay him to go away. Mm -hmm. And uh, with the XFL, well, I just hope it's exciting football. I hope it's as exciting as it was before. It was really fun and liberal when you guys had uh, hot tubs and bikinis. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, McMahon... There were a lot of bikinis. Yes. And a lot of times they showed what the cheerleaders were wearing. Yes. They were going up and down the stands <laughs> to engage fans who were yes. guzzling beers and taking beer cups oh, they, and smashing it, them it was on like, their head. It, it was, was like going to an MMA event. There's go-go girls and everything. And uh, But then when he when he launched it, it was a bunch of... Uh, of tweets like he had just been reading Twitter about the national anthem. And I don't know if that, that, that helps you when you try to get too political about it. I just, if it's as exciting and as fun as the world wrestling federation and WWE and WWF over the years, and they've certainly been successful at that model, that'll be great. Cause I love football and I hope it does succeed. But when you're going up against that monster in the national football league, and there's also college football on Saturday, which is a monster and our Friday night lights all over America um, you know, the store is pretty full. Well, leave it to Steve Spurrier as we wrap this up. The ultimate quote, the ultimate quote, we're disappointed, but we should be considered AAF champs. His team with a 7-1 <laughs> record, he wants the trophy. I love he it. Wants it now. And I agree with him, right? If you're going to shut down the league, you give the trophy that I'm sure they already paid for. Maybe they didn't, but they probably have a trophy. Shouldn't we just give it to Steve Spurrier? And it'll, be, it'll go back to his uh, his house and his uh, his it library next, next to his Heisman Trophy. <laughs> he wants that trophy as well. It goes to show the competitive fire of certain human beings never leaves. I have one more conspiracy theory. Oh, I love a conspiracy theory. And I threw theory. this out, and a couple people agree. This was a television show. Everything's a television show. Right. And this was play-by-play. Play. And I believe the reason it didn't work, we had a, a couple of issues with it. Number one. They're competing with the NFL, which they can't compete with. They can't compete with college football, which is a multi-billion with a B dollar industry. And do we all forget that the NBA is in session before the playoffs with Steph Curry's trying to build a dynasty and add to it? And James Harden had one of the greatest seasons since Wilt Chamberlain in his prime and the Celtics and the Spurs. And we have a team with Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Denver Nuggets came out of nowhere. That had a lot to do with this, Tom. Sports fans only have so much of an attention span, and the AAF just didn't stick. Oh. Well, I remember when the UFC kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the only problem you and I had wasn't with the sport and the amazing guys who put their life on the line for our entertainment. It was, oh, my God, do I have enough time for this? <laughs> because we cover everything and we watch everything, and you and I by nature are interested in everything, mm -hmm. but our plates are so full. Even as guys who have, you know, who don't work nine to five like everybody else and have enough time. And part of our our job is to watch these games. Thank goodness. Uh, but uh, do people who have nine to five jobs have enough time to consume another football league? And other than the people in those cities, especially San Diego, San Antonio, Salt Lake and Birmingham, the answer is no. Well, it ties it up perfectly with this. Yeah, and this is going to be a theme on podcasts going forward. We talk about filler. I've been a part of filler in my life. I've done oh, things had, on TV. Had to do it. Yep. Yeah, and you, you got to do it, and you go on a show. Talk to Chris we, Myers when it's raining at Talladega. 
No, but that's really no. big. Chris Myers is a part of Talladega and Daytona, so he's doing something that's real. All right. I'm talking about all the garbage that's on television shows now. Not all of the debate shows. Stephen okay. A. Smith's a friend of ours. We worked with him. Max Kellerman, we see him in all the fights. But all of the garbage, garbage filler that is on cable sports during the day where people get points for no reason, you get three <laughs> points, but then hey. two are taken away. Well, we watch another show. We, we would both like show... that show if we were on it. <laughs> yeah, well, no. And then they have other shows where they have animal tricks. Well, yeah, we're just they, in the yeah, middle yeah. of the day on a sports channel. Right. There'll be people debating something, and they'll go, hey, let's go look at this cat. Yeah. <laughs> and this cat tried to climb the wall and do a flip. And that's on sports cable at 5 o'clock Eastern time, 2 in the afternoon. So we are living in the era of trash. And we have friends who are on these shows and they're getting paychecks and people are behind the scenes and they're producers and directors. Oh, there's a lot of trash there. television. Yeah. But there's so much trash television that the AAF gave us real football. It wasn't pretend. It was real tackling. There were hard oh, hits, great, great catches. Great point. They yacked it off the air. But I'm going to turn on tomorrow at some point some garbage debate show. Not PTI, which we love, but some knockoff of it where two guys are going to try to make you laugh in the middle of the day with cat tricks. <laughs> AAF is going to be out of business with Charlie Ebersol, Bill Polian, Heinz Ward, Steve Spurrier, all those names, all those coaches, all those doctors, all those trainers, and all the people working in the stadium on game day selling yep. beer parking cars and doing all that. So as other people are mocking the AAF and saying, ah, this is a joke. It was never good. Don't look at it that way. It was live sports television with men trying to make a living playing football, Tom. We are never going to jump on the grave of this league. I will tell you one thing that we've got to do in a future podcast, because this one should probably be wrapping up because of the length. Yes. But I will tell you this. We've got to talk about, because there's so many channels now, and because of Netflix, et cetera, and Amazon Prime, there's never been more trash TV like you're talking about, but there's never mm -hmm. been more great TV. Yes. And you turned me on to The Crown. This is for another podcast. For years, you've been telling me about I it. I love said, The Crown. I, I thought I have no interest. I have no, I, I just, you you told me on the air, you told me off the air. I didn't pay, I didn't pay any attention. Now that I've got a little more free time, I've, <laughs> I've been watching The Crown, binge watching The Crown. I got one more episode to go. Wow, what a great show. Oh, my yeah. God. And Game of Thrones is coming back. Yeah, the, the, the new season of Game of Thrones is right around the corner. And so there's never been more quality television. There's never been more trash, but we have to give a salute to television right now because it's never been better. I, I'm just thrilled with this podcast and what we have going on forward because now we're in the podcast mode. We yes. figured it out. We're trying to do it. Technically, we're getting there. Still we're yeah. able to do it yeah, and keep us together. And, you know, once Zion was knocked out, we didn't have to do his, a dookie podcast, the Final Four, because right. nobody's interested in Texas Tech. No one wants to talk about that little engine that could in Auburn. And, you know, Virginia and a wink and a nod. I had Gonzaga winning it all. You always have Virginia Gonzaga. A lot of credit. Ah, Gonzaga. What do you, you do that year in and year out. Yeah, you I'll should never do, it do again. that in a year again. The, the Gonzaga is a bridesmaid, never a bride. You know that. Remember when Tom Izzo yelled at his freshman and the world went crazy? Yes, I did. Oh, my yes, God, let's fire Tom yes. Izzo. How'd that work out?
Yeah, exactly. Oh, and we do know, you got to know that I was cheering for Auburn. The first time we had Bruce Pearl on, probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, I remember. We, he was more excited to be with us than we were to have him on. And so just because he appealed to our egos, because he talked about all these years as a college basketball coach driving around recruiting late at night, and we were on most of the time at night, he felt like he knew us. And so when he started out the uh, the interview, he was talking he was interviewing us and talking about how he felt like he knew us. So I've always cheered for for Pearl because I look at the TV, he knows who I am. I've got to cheer for him. So I've, uh, I'm I'm happy for Auburn. Do us a favor and please share the podcast on social media. Uh, put it out there on Facebook if you're downloading it via iTunes or SoundCloud or any other place where you get your podcasts. We really appreciate the support. Thanks for coming back, and thanks for listening to this week's edition of the JT and Looney Podcast. The JT and Looney Podcast is property of JT and Looney. Any rebroadcast of JT and Looney without the express written consent of JT, Looney, NBC, ABC, CBS, the BBC, BB King, or Doris Day is absolutely prohibited. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.